I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. This is Play Me, Canada's national digital theatre. Each week, we take some of the hottest plays and transform them into contemporary audio dramas. I'm Laura Mullen. And I'm Chris Tolley. Welcome back to Play Me and the conclusion of Iceland by Governor-General award-winning playwright Nicholas Bion. Last week on Play Me. Okay, for example, my latest flip. I bought the unit for a song from some over-leveraged dumbass from Buffalo. He had buyers lined up, but he sold it to me. Why? Because I could pay cash. Less waiting, less paperwork, less headaches, eh? Uncomplicated. From there, it's just a question of making a few cosmetic changes, staging it properly, and then... I turn around. I see the John lying on the floor and the carpet is stained with blood. And that's when I realize that I'm in big trouble. Episode 3 of Iceland, featuring the original cast of Kawa Ada, Clara Kalman, and Christine Horn. The original theatrical production was directed by Ravi Jan. I have a question. But before I say anything else, I want you to know that I'm not special or exceptional or whatever. I feel strange having to say that to preempt a conversation that way. I'm sure you've noticed that the individual, or perhaps I should say that, the ambition of individuality has become very fashionable lately and the idea that we are all unique in our own way which is true on a simplistic level is not i think is not true in a greater sense we are instruments and there's no shame in that right I had a guinea pig when I was a child. I called him Alphonse, which is a great name, but my father always called him Al, which drove me crazy. And he'd say, Anna, don't be a banana, which was his idea of a joke. Ah, no. Anyway, Alphonse was pretty smart for a guinea pig. I kept treats for him in one of my drawers, and whenever I'd go to open it, he'd squeak, you know, like guinea pigs do. Because he thought maybe I was going to feed him, which I did sometimes, but sometimes I was just getting a pair of... Whatever, socks. Point is, I let Alphonse out of his cage from time to time to run around my room, stretch his stubby little legs and all that, but I kept the door shut because we lived on a farm and there's no way he'd survive out on his own. I mean, foxes and whatnot, he wasn't that smart, but one day my mom hmm, 
opened the door while he was out, and Alphonse made a run for it. Little bugger was quick, too. We chased after him, but he ran out of the living room couch, and we couldn't find him after that. I cried. My mother comforted me, but I could tell she was getting impatient. Finally, she said, Anna, enough. It's just a guinea pig. Which surprised me, you know, because she preached that God loved all living things, some more than others, dear. We found Alphonse the next morning on the porch. He'd eaten something, fertilizer, I think, and he was not doing so good. I was racked with guilt. I never should have let him escape. I made a nest out of a shoebox and stored him under my bed. At first, he just pooped and barfed and wouldn't eat anything I gave him. Then after a while, he went quiet and laid still. The next morning, my mom comes into my room and there is a... Hmm, a sharp smell. She doesn't say anything, just kind of scowls, crinkles her nose, and (laughs) I want to die. I'm so embarrassed because, of course, I know what it is, so I just say, I tooted, and my mom goes, well, it doesn't smell like vanilla, dear. My mother is a blunt instrument. By the third day, my father comes to investigate, and he finds Alphonse pretty much on the doorstep of death, wheezing, you know, and his eyes fluttering open and shut. My father takes him away, and my mother turns to me. How could you let that poor creature suffer? I tell her I thought I could nurse him back to health. She shakes her head and says, Do you think you get to decide about life and death, young lady? Shame on you, Anna Godwin. Shame on you. We are instruments. Anyway, that's not... (laughs) I mean, I'm not here to talk about my guinea pig. I was at the Sputnik Cafe, little hipster place on King, right... So I'm browsing the internet, but there's this guy sitting at the next table. He's chatting up this girl, this lady friend of his. But I feel like every third word out of his mouth is either four letters long or a blaspheme, and I can't concentrate anymore. I interrupt the guy. I say, excuse me, but would you mind not taking the Lord's name in vain? He turns to me and gives me a look, a kind of vapid, empty look, not unlike a cow, actually. And he says, excuse me? And I repeat myself. He shakes his head a little, you know, like he's having a brain toot. And I think, no, not a cow, a donkey. He looks like a donkey. Anyway, he gives me the usual blah, blah, blah about free speech. Mind my own business, etc., etc. And it's wonderful because all I do is keep my cool and say, I don't mean to upset you. I'm just asking. The lady friend puts her hand on his arm and tells him to let it go. The young man turns to her, and that's when it happens. The quick flush of his cheeks. The sharp rise of red in his face. Shame. And in that moment, I love him. Because that is God. Showing him the error of his ways. Showing him that he's not special. Anyway, he goes back to talking to his lady friend, but it's not the same as before. He's not so reckless anymore. He knows someone's watching. He knows someone's listening. This gives me hope. 
because people can be changed by Christ's love, right? Anyway, I'm at the cafe to use the internet. I'm in the market for a home. My dad's going to try to help me out a bit with the down payment. He, he thinks it's best if I buy something, and that's smart, you know, because it's an investment, and I can't sleep on my cousin's couch forever. So I'm browsing through MLS, checking out different one-bedrooms in the area, and then wham. There it is, staring me in the face. At first, I'm like, <laughs> Look, I was just living there, like last month, but there is no doubt it's my apartment up for sale. I mean, sure, looks a little different. It's been repainted and a lot of fixtures and things have been changed, but there's a picture of the balcony and there's my little hibachi I'd forgotten to take with me. I checked the address, suite 633. understand. This, this was my first apartment alone. I was happy. For two years, it was home until three months ago when the owner calls me up out of the blue, says he has to sell the apartment. He's American, something about the market collapsing, blah, blah, blah. I don't understand very much about that. Now, the thing is, I'd expect the buyer to honor my lease, right? Except the guy who buys it decides he wants to move in. So I'm stuck having to move out of my home. And now here we are a month later, and now it's for sale. I tweet about this and everyone is appalled. My friend Rachel from Colorado messages me saying, well, you are going to visit, right? And I message back, I I can't afford it. And she says, no, but aren't you curious? And well, yeah, of course I am curious. I call up the real estate agent because I am. It's true. I, I didn't lie. I am genuinely interested in buying it. The home that I love, he calls it a condo. We arrange a visit that very afternoon. We meet at the coffee shop across from my place. The real estate agent is an Indian guy, but it's okay because he's dressed in a suit. He says, Can I get you anything? No, thank you. I don't want him to get the wrong idea. This is a meeting, not a date, I mean. Anyway, we go over to the apartment and... In the elevator, I I almost give myself away by pressing the button for the sixth floor, but I catch myself just in time. And the Indian guy presses it. Suddenly, I I get worried because what if I run into one of my neighbors? I mean, I never really spoke to any of them, but enough to nod. And I'm thinking if one of them sees me now, they might be like, Hey, it's been so long. Where have you been? There goes my cover. But I don't run into anyone so he lets me into the apartment and huh okay it's a lot nicer a lot nicer than when I lived there I mean we're talking about an upgrade from Ikea to Martha Stewart and the guy the Indian guy he he notices that I'm looking really closely at all the the little details that have changed you know cupboard handles and the like and so I say the owner's done a really great job with the place and he says thank you thank you
It takes my brain a second to process that. Thank you. He is the owner. This guy, this Indian guy who is a real estate agent, is the guy who bought my home, who is going to live here and is now selling it. You're the owner. Yes. You know, what I love is that I sell homes. Not condos, but homes. Places where people really feel like it's the place for them. Blah, 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 blah. But all I'm thinking is, you dirty piece of shit! Uh, No, no, I, I can't believe I said that. This man took my home from me. Anyway, so he goes on, but I I stop listening and think very, very bad things, but I remain calm. I remember to stay calm. I ask him, how long have you been here? Not very long. I expected to stay longer, but I'm going back to Pakistan for a little while. I thought you were Indian. No. I'm Canadian. My parents are from Pakistan. Okay. It's awkward. I I didn't mean anything by it, but he's looking at me like, huh, I don't know, like I'm stupid or something. So, are you interested? It's a bit outside my price range. This annoys him. I can tell he's like, why the mm-mm-mm, did you waste my time or whatever? I'm good at reading people like that. It's priced very aggressively for the market. (laughs) What does that even mean? Prices can be high, they can be low, but they cannot be aggressive. A price is not an animal. He hands me his business card. I I, I won't even try to pronounce his name and I leave. I don't want to be there anymore. I go back to the coffee shop and end up chatting online with Rachel and Andrea and Rob. I tell them what happened. I'm upset. Andrea says I should call the police. (laughs) Rob says he hasn't done anything illegal, unethical maybe, but not illegal. Rachel Googles the guy and sends me a link. It's a a picture of these guys at some kind of rally. And, And one of the guys is on a megaphone. Rachel asks me if that's the guy, as in, is the guy on the megaphone the real estate agent? I I tell her I'm not sure it's not a great picture taken on a phone I think and it's it's hard to make out the features I mean it is the right skin color and and really dark hair and stuff but let's be honest it is not always super easy to tell them apart Rachel says that he is a troublemaker in Pakistan probably with links to al-Qaeda like a, a, a terrorist, I, I tell her that he was well-dressed, you know, and didn't have a beard or anything. That doesn't matter, she says. In fact, that's one way they integrate to infiltrate. Rob and Andrea pipe up at this point, and they're both like, yeah, we can't have Al-Qaeda Nazis bullying us around, blah, blah, blah. Well, okay, but let, let's not exaggerate. I mean, maybe he is just a guy, right? And Rachel says, yeah, but you can't just let this go. You've got to do something. And you know what? She is right. This is my home we're talking about, right? So I'll go talk to him and maybe, (laughs) I don't know, maybe I'll get an apology. So you see my intentions were good, right? Andrea says, just be careful. But don't worry, I don't go anywhere without my pepper spray. So I go back. 
I know the door code. Downstairs, they haven't changed it. Up the elevator to the door, and I'm about to knock when I listen and I hear... I hear a moaning, not very loud, but definite moaning. And I remember then that Muslims pray five times a day and they do it out loud. So I I figured that's what he's doing. And that gives me pause because I, I would never want to interrupt anyone while they're praying, right? So I wait. When the moaning stops, I knock. There's jostling of some kind. Is someone else in there? Door opens and the Indian guy answers it, but he he is looking a little worse for wear. He's tucking in his shirt. It's you. Yes. And he just stands there, doesn't move or anything. He's, He's not inviting me in and that makes me suspicious. There is also a smell. There is a definite smell in the air. What do you want? (laughs) I'll tell you what. There's no more of that smooth real estate talk now. I wanted to tell you that I lived in this apartment before you bought it. Okay. You evicted me. This was my home. Listen, I don't know what your deal is. I'm really sorry you got evicted and all that, but I own this condo, yeah? I understand that, sir. I thought the sir was important. But you really put me out. Uh-huh. How do you plan to atone for this? Oh, for fuck's sake. I'm about to answer when he says... I suppose you want money. Is that it? Well, let's be honest. That is a weird thing to say. He puts his hand in his pocket, you know, like he's going to take out his wallet, but it's not there, so he turns and goes back in, and I follow him. fucking Excuse me. I didn't say you could come in. Oh, well, now that's rich. He grabs his wallet clip or something and pulls off $300 bills. Who carries $100 bills around? I, I am sorry, but that is odd. Here. Go find yourself a hobby, will I, you? I look at the money. Take the goddamn money and get out of here. Please do not take the Lord's name in vain. And he kind of scrunches up his face when I say that and... <laughs> it's like I've just told him the funniest joke he has ever heard. But it is not funny. This is my home we're talking about, right? I wait for him to stop laughing. Sir, I don't appreciate your mocking. I'm only asking that you respect my belief in a higher power. He waves the money in my face. This is the higher power. I stay calm. I wait. I wait for the shame to rise in him, but there is nothing. There, There is not the faintest trace of red in his cheeks, so I can't help but ask myself, is God absent from this man? He tries to give me the money again to forcibly put it in my hands. He grabs my arms. Take the money and get the fuck out of here. I reach into my purse, pull out my pepper spray and point it at him. Whoa, now let's Calm down. I am perfectly calm. You're the one who's grabbing me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, listen. What did I ever do to you? I don't even know you. I was evicted because of you. It's not my fault the owner sold the condo. This whole situation is not my fault. Oh, fine then. Whose fault is it? He looks at me and says with a straight face. He says this to me with a straight face. Iceland. Excuse me? If you're looking for someone to blame, blame 
Iceland. Shame on you for treating this like a joke. I spray him right in the face. What the fuck? Starts to howl like a dog. I, I, I must have got him good too because he, he, he starts to heave and wobble and then he trips over a purse and falls backwards and there's an awful sound. Uh, cracking sound as he hits his head on the coffee table. And the thought that's going through my mind is I saw something like this on Law and Order. He is lying on the ground. He's not moving. I'm shaking. It's really weird, but I'm shaking like a Quaker, as my mom would say. I I kneel by him. I can't get too close. I'm having trouble breathing because of the pepper spray, but he, he is still alive. His chest still rises and he's, he's making a, a, a wheezing sound. There is also some blood. There is some blood pooling around his head and I don't know what to do. I pray. I pray and I hope God will hear me and tell me what to do, right? Show him mercy. Do not let him suffer. I take one of the pillows off the couch and I put it over his face. And I sit on the pillow. I sit on the pillow. And do you want to know what's going through my head? The question. The same question I I want to ask you. Why did God not tell me to call an ambulance? I decide to call Matthias, but that's when the bathroom door opens. What do you know about Iceland? What? What do you know about Iceland? It's a country? Yes, of course. Well? It's where the volcano erupted. A few years ago, planes couldn't fly. That's not it. Um, In the novel uh, Brave New World is where people are sent if they have independent thought they're sent to Iceland so they live far away from people that doesn't make any sense what did he mean why would he say that I'm sorry I do not know the look on the woman's face make me think of expression memus she would say this to me and Yannu when we were disappointed she'd say it means life is not rainbows and puppy dogs The woman turns to leave, and I realize I must do something if the John is to live. So I say, please, can you call ambulance? Don't you dare look at me like that, you dirty fucking whore. 
she puts a hand over her mouth and again her cheeks get very red. She opens her bag and takes out, I don't make this up, she takes out a piece of, of soap. She bite it. She puts the soap back in her purse and leaves. She doesn't look at me. I expect her to slam the door, but she closes it quietly behind her. Now I really do not know what to do. And that's when I hear something. It's a sound like a bottle of coke that is opened very slowly. There is now an odor in the air, a very strong, very bad odor. I look at the John and I realize what has happened. He has some, um, how you say, like his, uh, his bowels have empty. He's dead. I get dressed and call Matthias. I tell him about the dead John. He stay calm and say, it's no problem, I'll send someone. But when I tell him about the woman, he's agitated. You let her leave? Get out of there. But what about fingerprints? It will not matter, he says, if police find you in the apartment. We argue. Does he not understand that I want to make my life here, that I cannot afford to have my fingerprints in the system? I will clean the apartment with bleach, I say. He yell at me, you don't have time. And then he's silent. I can hear him thinking. Casa, he says finally, if you're that worried... Burn it. The cupboards are empty, but I find a bottle of vodka. I begin to pour it on the furniture, but I stop when I notice the black grill to make food. You know, on the balcony? There's a bottle of lighter fluid beside it. I open the lighter fluid and I, um, how you say, like I, uh, I spray it on the curtains, on the furniture, on the walls, on everywhere. It's middle of afternoon, this important. It means there will not be many people in the building. I just need a long enough to burn the apartment. I take the cloth hanging on the oven handle and I, um, like, uh, marinate it in the vodka. I push it down the neck of bottle a little bit so I have something like a Molotov cocktail. I light it. I throw it into the living room. It lands on the corner of coffee table and shatters into many pieces. I watch as very quickly fire spreads through the apartment. It will not take long. I leave and go across the street to coffee shop. I sit and watch as smoke comes out and fire alarm in the building goes off. Flames now come out of the window and people evacuate from building and make a crowd in front. It takes only a few minutes for the fire truck to arrive and I think this is a good time to leave. On my way out, I look once more at the apartment and smoke and flames are very thick now. It looks like there's a tiny volcano inside the apartment. And there are two young men standing next to me, both dressed in suits. One of them turns to me and says, What happened? I should not have said anything. I should have just walked away, but how to explain? He looked like Yanu, this man. Not exactly, of course, but he had the same eyes as him. And perhaps this is why I suddenly feel the urge to scream, to yell at the man. I want to say, it's your gambling debt. 
Viszont vigasztinuk, köszönjük, mi lesz a tét, köszönjük, most tegyek jelki, oma tegyek Miksai open minivékust, miksai nosta em olema motozolomon, miksai jaga, miszon ne hirmutávvel dolgoztak oga, ja kusma olema lophoz, kui mániát kap szeretjét, miszon vigasztinuga! But instead, I swallow these words and say to him, something to do with Iceland. He looks at me like I'm crazy. He and his friend laugh. He says, uh, okay then. And I, um, my throat goes dry. Yeah. And I put my hand on my chest like this. And that's when I feel it his money and I remember now that I take it before leaving the apartment that I do it automatically without thinking why would I That was the conclusion of Iceland by Governor General Award-winning playwright Nicholas Bion. Iceland was performed by Kawa Ada, Claire Cowlin, and Christine Horn. Visit playmepodcast.com to learn more about our shows, leave a comment, or let us know what you think of our podcast. Play Me is produced by Laura Mullen and Chris Tolley. The associate producer is Pippa Johnstone. This episode was edited by Chris Tolley. Play Me is funded by the Canada Council for the Arts and the Ontario Arts Council. Special thanks to our partners, the Playwrights Guild of Canada, Factory Theatre, Tarragon Theatre, and the Musical Stage Company. Play Me is an Expect Theatre production. For more information, please visit playmepodcast.com. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.